What is Crack-a-lackin' Hardwood Knox, listeners? I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you with some Russell Westbrook talk, believe it or not. Before we actually get started, uh, just our usual reminder slash plea around these parts to subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please, it helps us a ton if you hit that like button and subscribe to us permanently as we continue and try and build up this community. Word of mouth as well. So if you're already listening to this podcast, watch this on YouTube, tell friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on the internet, um, coworkers, anyone you know that likes the NBA. We cover the entire league at large. Go through the rest of our library. We try and talk about every single team as often as possible. We do exercises where we go through every single team. We normally break it down by division or, or conferences. The job is extremely thorough. We are extremely underrated. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcasts or also on YouTube as well. It, it would really appreciate it. And as I say, Every single time, uh, I am endlessly grateful for all the listeners and YouTube watchers, subscribers that we have, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can find all our socials um, in the podcast description, in the YouTube description, and also consider checking out our Discord. We have a great community building up. It's up and coming there as well. Any team, we talk about everything. Um, so the link is also in the YouTube description and the podcast description. Let's dive into this Russell Westbrook stuff, though, because... Uh, I feel like we don't talk about the Lakers enough on this podcast, I guess, as it relates to when they were in the Kyrie Irving news. Uh, everyone talks about the Lakers, though, so I don't feel a need to add something unless I think I have an original thought or something that's important. And I'm not someone who has fallen on the side of Russ is deeply underrated, but I'm also not someone who has fallen on the side of the Lakers or Russ's fault. And I think that we've started to veer way too far into this direction of blaming Westbrook for a lot of, of what's wrong with the Lakers when they should have known what they were getting into. And I think, so the latest news, Woj broke it late Friday night, talk about a news dump. Um, he separated from his agent, Chris Foucher, who cited, he gave these quotes to Woj. I'm going to read one of them here, but it was just unlike anything I've really ever seen released publicly uh, talking about, like talk about what felt like damage control or he was trying to communicate uh, Chris Foucher that, uh, Russell Westbrook is in the wrong. It felt like he intimated Russ made a trade request to the Lakers. That came out and said Russ never made a trade request to the Lakers. Uh, let's read the statement that he, uh, Chris Foucher said. I represented Russell Westbrook for 14 years and I'm proud of our partnership, which included a highly successful 2008 draft, a super max contract, and the only renegotiation that extend max contract in history. I also supported Russ through his rise into a prominent fashion industry figure and recently orchestrated three successive trades on, on Russell's behalf, culminating with the trade to his hometown Lakers. Each time teams gave up valuable players and assets to acquire Russell. And each time a new organization embraced his arrival. We did it together with grace and class. Now with the possibility of a fourth trade in four years, the marketplace is telling the Lakers they must add additional value with Russell in any trade scenario. And even then such a trade may require Russell to immediately move on from the new team via buyout. My belief is that this type of transaction only serves to diminish Russ's value and his best option is to stay with the Lakers, embrace the starting role and support that Darvin Ham publicly offered. Russell is a first ballot Hall of Famer and we'll prove that again before he is retired. Goes on, unfortunately, irreconcilable differences uh, force them to be no longer working together. Uh, I don't know what that says about anybody in this scenario, but it kind of you know drags Russ under the bus here by saying, uh, he really wants a trade from LA and his agent, former agent didn't agree with him. And they're at the point where with Russ is going to, is going to enter the open market next summer. He will be a free agent. His, his former agent didn't want to, Chris didn't want to have to be, um, have the burden of negotiating his next contract, which 
I, you know what? I wouldn't want that job either because Russ's value was so divisive as it stood anyway. And to just add this stretch where his value really plunged with the Lakers, we were talking about would the Lakers give a first round pick to dump him, uh, like to just dump him, to just get off him. We're talking about a team that didn't have flexibility and it was going to take a first round pick just to get off Russ's salary without sort of guaranteeing uh, that you were even going to get an upgrade. I take issue with this, that this narrative, and I hate that word, continues to be spun uh, that this is all Russell Westbrook's fault. And we even saw it. I mean, you talk about um, just people when they come up with trades, like they're blaming Russ because he couldn't fit with the team. Um, they're blaming Russ because he committed so many turnovers. They're blaming Russ um, for pouting after he was benched in the, the fourth quarter later in the season. They're blaming Russ because he's not, he's taking jumpers and, and not making enough of them. And look, all that's fair. Russ did not do what LA thought he was going to do when they brought him in. Um, he still took, you know, his, his jumpers were just not good. He shot, he had a 39.3 effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. One of the worst marks in the league um, for anyone at high volume, the single worst mark in the league for anyone who attempted at least five pull-up jumpers per game. He hit under 30% of his catch and shoot threes. That number did wax and wane as the season went on. So there was some merit to, Oh, could he work off the ball a little bit? Uh, people have complained that he never set enough ball screens. Uh, those are all fair complaints. He, I think the biggest uh, argument in favor of acquiring Russ insofar as it existed was, well, what can he do when LeBron and AD are off the court? And the team was awful. They were a minus 7.3 points per 100 possessions. Uh, teams outscored them by 7.3 points per 100 possessions when Russell Westbrook played without LeBron and Anthony Davis. Russ was not good. But I'm very uncomfortable with the way that everything is being sort of blamed in his direction. And did he accept enough culpability behind the scenes? It certainly does not seem like it. But you also have reports like this from Brian Windhorse of ESPN. I'm, I'm going to play this clip uh, right now. I don't think enough people talk about this Russell Westbrook exit interview because what Russ said, and that was just a couple of parts of it, he went on for 20 minutes, was borderline delusional. And, and basically what Russ did at the end of that Lakers season was take no personal accountability for the way the season went down and blamed most of it on his coach, Frank Vogel, for not setting things up and in, in defining things more for him to be successful. And then he partially blamed it on LeBron and Anthony Davis, too, where he said that they didn't change their games um, when Russell himself changed almost nothing. And so to listen to someone talk like that, when I heard that press conference, I remember saying, oh, my God, like this guy never had any intention of changing his game and has no intention of changing his game. So Look, that is not great. I told, and again, Russ deserves so much blame here, but can we not lose sight of why Russ it was in LA in the first place? The front office made the decision to acquire him, and LeBron and AD apparently pushed to acquire him. That trade was billed as a terrible fit in the moment. And there are a lot of times where you look at trades in the moment, you have your reflexive reactions, and you go back. Hindsight is 2020. And everything is fine. You were wrong or it turns out better than expected. This was one of those things that you could see was going to be a disaster from the moment that it happened. They gave up so much value. They obliterated their depth. It's not Russ's fault that they obliterated their depth. It's also not, even if you think that LeBron and AD wanted Russ, it's not their fault that the team went out and acquired Russ. It's not Frank Vogel's fault that he was unable to fit Russell Westbrook onto a team that wasn't built to fit Russell Westbrook. 
you don't want to build a team to fit Russell Westbrook in the year 2022. I also get that. But you put him alongside another ball-dominant guy in LeBron James, don't really surround him with a ton of shooting or defense. What did you think was going to happen? And I'm not even saying if the Lakers wanted to move on from Vogel, I'm so intrigued with the job that Darvin Ham is going to do. People around the league have said nothing but great things about him. Um, there's fine. There was there was a, a, a basis for firing Vogel anyway, I guess. I still think he received too much of the blame as well. Gio was not receiving still. All this time after, enough of the blame. The front office, Rob Palenka, Kurt Rambis, apparently, and, and Linda Rambis, apparently have these you know really powerful voices still behind the scenes. And then, of course, um, you know the team's primary go governor in, in Jeannie Buss. This is like, you can't let these people skate by. Uh, they made the decision, whoever it was among those four, however it went down, they didn't re-sign Alex Caruso. If AD and LeBron wanted Russell Westbrook, guess who had to sign off on it first? Part of being executives of a team is knowing when to not listen to your stars. And it's some, some organizations are going to turn um, the entire fate of their franchise over to those stars because of how important they are on the court. That doesn't mean that they need to be the end all be all of the voices off the court. And I'm not trying to diminish how smart certain players can be, but it, it was very clear that Russ wasn't going to be a, a good fit and that this was sort of a, a flashy name acquisition. You need to be able to, part of your job as Jeannie Buss, as Rob Palenka, as, as Kurt and Linda Rambis, I guess, you need to be able to say, no, they're wrong. Like, we're going to go the Buddy Heald route because that was on the table. Or we're not going to make a move at all because, hey, fucking guess what? Wings are valuable in this league. And you traded away two of them, uh, essentially, in KCP and Kuzma. Then let another, really, like, a, a guard, but a great defender in Alex Caruso walk for money that you could have paid him because you're worried about your luxury tax bill. Like, those are the people that deserve the blame in this. It's not Russ for refusing to change because you want to know what's happened at every single stop in Russell Westbrook's career? He hasn't changed. This isn't like breaking news here that Russ wants the ball in his hands, that Russ is going to dribble into bad jumpers, that I do think his turnover issues were exacerbated this year, turned the ball over on 18.1% of his pick and rolls. That happened. Guess what? James Harden turned the ball over on 18.1% of his pick and rolls this past year too. Probably the worst season we've seen from James Harden in quite some time, but there were worse players uh, in the NBA when it came to turnovers. Russ might have been the single most detrimental player among high volume um, among high volume players. Just looking at what happened to him on defense, like he was uh, sometimes there's like a lot of pomp and circumstance to his defense. It didn't even feel like there was that this year. Guess what? Russell Westbrook has never pretended that he was going to change. He's been moved from team to team for real value in certain instances these past few years. Um, specifically, when OKC traded him to Houston, they really won that deal. Um, that was sort of the the start of the fall. There was already rumblings about that while he was in OKC that he would be, and we kind of knew that when Kevin Durant left, that he's maybe not the easiest person to to play with. I'm not talking about his personality, though maybe that's grading on some. I'm just talking about his style of game. And if he wasn't going to play off the ball a ton, if he wasn't going to be an efficient jump shooter, if he wasn't going to be a frequent ball screener, there were going to always be issues there. Um, that has now happened at every stop, even when he's played well. Uh, he had high moments in Houston towards the second half of the season. He had high moments in Washington towards the second half of the season. It still just didn't work out there. And these teams constantly talked themselves into acquiring him for value. I mean, Washington gave up the least amount of value when you look at it in that trade, but the Lakers and then the Rockets specifically, yeah, there, there are competing agendas here. James Harden didn't want to play with Chris Paul anymore. Part of your job as a front office 
would be to be tell James Harden, you know, suck it up, deal with it. If we find a better trade for CP3, whose value wasn't great at that time, we're not going to you know mortgage our entire future to get Russell Westbrook. It reminds me just of that clip uh, where it's like, oh, is this going to work out for us? Well, did it work for those people? <laughs> no, it never does. I mean, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, but... <laughs> but it might work for us. This is not, it's not on Russ in the sense that Russ came to LA and torpedoed everything. They had other issues, mind you. They were injured, they were banged up. Who knows what this team looks like at full strength. Just having a healthy LeBron NAD for the entire year would have absolutely gone a long way. I wouldn't have picked them to win the title. I would have probably expected them to make the playoffs if we're talking about LeBron and AD playing in more games. But the Lakers, once again, like they did at the beginning of the LeBron era, took a team and decided to not build it around shooting and defense to complement LeBron and AD um, or to complement LeBron in general. Uh, they specifically minimized shooting. Um, they minimized defense as well, but there were, they had players enough talent, especially when AD was healthy to paper over a lot of their issues on that end of the floor. And now even leading into the next season, I like some of the stuff they've done over the off season. Thomas Bryant thought that was a really good signing, especially if you want AD to play the four. Thomas Bryant can give you four spacing. I actually liked the Lonnie Walker, the fourth signing more than most. Uh, if anyone watched him towards the latter end of this past year, his game really started to come together over an extended period of time, kind of post Derek White trade. Uh, he might need the ball in his hands, but you know they found touches from Malik Monk there. He's going to be a little bit bigger than Malik Monk. Um, he can get you going downhill. He can hit some tough jumpers. He can also space the floor with the three. I don't know. It, it does feel like there's going to be a higher variance to his game. He feels less complimentary than Malik Monk did, but I, I can appreciate the flyer, and you're just taking some gambles on on youth here, and it only costs you the mini mid-level exception. Would I have gone that direction? I don't know, but I, I, I'm ultimately fine with it. I love the Juan Toscano-Anderson signing. You want versatile wings on this team, uh, which you needed. He does that. He might be sort of a combo forward more than a wing, but he can defend almost every position depending on who's who's on the floor with him. Um, I really, I, the Damian Jones, like he had some really nice moments last year in Sacramento offensively. So again, I like some of the moves they made in the vacuum, but they haven't done anything inspiring, inspiring this off season. And so now it just feels like, oh, we're going to pivot to blaming this on Russ, who uh, again, Russ is at fault here because it's not Frank Vogel's fault. It's not LeBron and AD's fault insofar as Russ actually said that, by the way, that just feels something like, he expected LeBron and AD to change their games, but not himself. I just can't imagine anyone would be that stubborn or ignorant. And look, maybe he is. I think everyone here bears the a share of blame, including LeBron and AD, if they pushed this trade for Russ. And if LeBron is sort of passive-aggressively trying to get Russ out after he was in favor of this on any level, that's fucked up too. So there's blame to be tossed around to everyone, including the, um, the, the departed Frank Vogel. But this front office... The leadership in this organization has been a fucking shit show for the past year plus, right down to the way that they let the news out that Frank Vogel was going to get fired, even though it was just considered inevitable anyway. There was no way to let that leak out before uh, you even met with him um, immediately after your final game of the season. It was it was grotesque the way that they handled that. And so you want to point the finger at anyone, Rob Plinka, Kurt Rambis, Linda Rambis, Jeannie Buss who signed off on the Russell Westbrook trade, who let Alex Caruso walk for luxury tax reasons, um, who decided to obliterate their depth for a player that always profiled as this extremely iffy fit, who decided to build a team with more ball handling and versatility rather than complementary defense and shooting because why? You Because LeBron's getting older and he is still yet to ever really seed 
real control over the offense wherever he's been. We've talked about that in the past too, about, oh, this is going to make it easier for LeBron to um, sort of ease off the ball. Like, and it, it sort of reached the fever pitch when he first came to the Lakers and the way they built that team, like having the kiddos there with, with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. No, it doesn't work like that because LeBron's going to have the ball in his hands. And you know what? LeBron should have the ball in his hands. If you want LeBron to turn into a, a, a screen and roll guy, you don't really need Anthony Davis on the team anymore. And he's LeBron James. So as long as he's playing peak, near peak LeBron basketball, you should absolutely build your team to maximize his talents, not make this trade that was that always hinged upon, well, imagine what Russ can do when LeBron isn't on the court. If that is the primary argument in favor of the trade, that you have one of the two greatest basketball players of all time, NBA players of all time, and you're trying to envision what your team can look like on the court without him while he's still on the team, I don't care how old he is. That's fucking stupid. It's asinine. And that's where the Lakers... I've really messed up the most. And I don't, I, I feel it's cringy the way that this is all being thrown onto Westbrook, who again was bad last year. And it's okay to say that we don't need to, you know, I talk a lot about, I don't want to tell anyone how to fan. And I, I preach that a lot too. I don't want to preach, but I say that a lot where I don't like uh, how certain media members, analysts, bloggers, podcasters can be really condescending when they're talking to people. And I try not to do that unless you're being a, a real asshat to me. Uh, I don't like it when they say, well, you have to like, this is how we have to look at the game. Like, no, fuck trades and transactions and free agency. Like, I want to talk about, um, you know, horns. Like, we need to dive deep into that. I'm um, a horn set that was run between the Pistons and the Pelicans from 2017 uh, in February on the second night of a back-to-back on a Wednesday. If that's what you're into, fine. I'm, I love I try, I love this game on so many different levels, and I like reading and listening to people who are smarter than I am, and I like reading about it all. The off-court drama is part of the appeal. Free agency, transaction, trades, that's part of the appeal too. Actually just watching the game in real time and seeing what some of these individuals are, are doing with the ball in their hands, their shot making, watching Draymond Green away from the ball on defense, um, seeing like certain teams in their ball movement or how they get guys open, guys who are relocating away from the ball to get their open shots appreciate the game however you want if that's not something you're into if you enjoy more of just the the soap opera element of this that's i don't have an issue with it too there's detrimental coverage but people flipping out because espn during the finals is talking about whether ad is still a top five player in the league or top 10 player um that's not one of them that's a legitimate question and when we're in the finals there are 28 other teams even though that happens to be the lakers we're talking about in that situation there are 28 other teams 28 other fan bases not everyone's going to care about that one series as deeply as everybody else with that being said it's just and i'm also not a fan of like we don't have to you know masturbate to this game every five seconds where everyone's the greatest thing ever and every play is the greatest thing ever and we can't say anything negative russell westbrook was bad that's one thing two russell westbrook deserves a ton of the blame here if he wasn't willing to change his game and i don't believe he was i find it very hard that they would look at russ and say yeah you know we're not even going to try you out on more ball screens like, why, why would you ever say that? That has to be part of, like, what Russ is going to do. Um, is the Lakers' fault for maybe not trying to get him moving off the ball? Or if you can't reach him to get him moving off the ball because there was a lot of stationary action with Russ when he was away from the ball, or stationary inaction would probably be the better way to say it. Yeah, that falls on the coaching staff. It also falls in the front office because they acquired Russell Westbrook, who has never been one to change or adapt his game to anybody. That That is the primary party to blame here. And I think we need to not lose sight of that. And you want to know why else? We should blame them, and we're going to get into this, is what teams should actually trade for Russ or should talk themselves into it. 
they've yet to give up the assets necessary to move Russ because he's a negative value contract at this point and they don't want to attach more of their future picks. They can trade one in 27 and 29 and they don't want to do that. That's fine. Keep him and stop trying to throw him under the bus. Like, what are you trying to get him to do? Give you $20 million back in a buyout? Or when you ultimately do trade him, say, oh, well, he requested a trade. Guess what? Russell Westbrook no longer has the cachet based off what he's done on the court to request a trade and then get it. At the same time, his $47.1 million salary, it's expiring. It's not immovable. And if the Lakers are going to try and spin it as it is, they're they're lying. Like that's the the spin game that we're getting into is is wild. If they refuse to trade him, that's fine. That's their prerogative. That's how things work in the NBA. And it suggests that they would prefer to do that rather than move any assets to get him. But you want to blame them? I I can almost guarantee you right now, if they had put their 27 and 29 picks on the table, that Brooklyn would have traded Kyrie Irving to them already. I can all I can I'm willing to all but guarantee that. But they don't want to give up that much value. I don't know if they're not willing to take back Joe Harris either. I think Brooklyn would be stupid to want to include Joe Harris in that deal. I still ultimately think that Kyrie ends up in, in LA at this juncture. I can't imagine him and KD playing for the Nets again. But the Lakers, if they're not willing to include the assets necessary to change up their team, that's on the Lakers. That's not on Russ. That's not on LeBron or AD either. It was just like when Polinka came out and said that they talked to LeBron and AD and they were at the trade deadline, excuse me, and they were okay with the Lakers doing nothing at the trade deadline. And then LeBron and AD were like, no, that's not a conversation that we ever had. This front office is a disaster. Like, and it's almost, it's, it's, it's comedic because of how incompetent it is. It's hilarious and it's hopeless at the same time. The Lakers still might be fine because Kyrie Irving wants to go to LA and there are avenues that they can explore to take advantage of this situation that the Nets have also gotten themselves into. It's not just on Kyrie Irving, but you can't trust this front office right now. Who has done, look, the Lakers by and large, like they've done some nice job mining talent on the margins. When you look at players they drafted or acquired outside of the draft. Uh, and this isn't, it doesn't all fall under the, the same front office, but like this organization has been able to, you know, Ingram, great player, Kuzma, great player, Crusoe, great player, D'Angelo Russell turned into a really solid player. Uh, getting the Malik Monk flyer to focus on more recent stuff. I, I Like I said, I like the Lonnie Walker, the fourth flyer. This And this team won a championship in 2020. You can call it a fake bubble championship, whatever. Blame the front office for what's happening with the Lakers, first and foremost. The front office, Palinka, the Rambi. Is that the plural of Rambi? Rambi sounds like a, sh- a shape. Uh, and Genie Bus, Palinka, and the Rambi for this. More so than Westbrook, more than LeBron, more than AD, more than Vogel. And if they keep Russ... Don't put any of the blame on Darvin Ham because he couldn't make it work. This is not a workable situation on paper, on the court. Everyone knew it to begin with. I don't view Russell Westbrook as untradeable. And I think that teams that aren't going to be on this super immediate timeline should consider if the Lakers are going to attach first round picks, not to just take on a salary, but send some value back. Maybe it's one you don't need, players you don't need long term. And Brooklyn's a special case. Let's just assume they move Kevin Durant. Um, so yeah, let's actually, let's just cannonball into these Russell Westbrook trade destinations, just teams that I believe should be looking at Russ because they're either not on an immediate timeline or there are special circumstances where you look at this and say, okay, he's going to make $47.1 million next year. That's it. He's off the books after that. Maybe you're acquiring him. And most of these teams are going to suggest would with the intention of waiving him or negotiating a buyout. If you're not on an immediate timeline to me, that's fine. That's absolutely something that you should consider. I'm going to start off with the Nets, though, because they are in a special circumstance. If you are Brooklyn, 
Kyrie wants to go to LA. You want to win immediately. You're not bringing in Russ to play with Ben Simmons. That would be fucking twisted and stupid. Um, and you're also not bringing him back to play with KD. You're not going to bring in Russ, keep him, then also keep KD. If you trade for Russ, you're probably doing so under the guise that you will broker a buyout or because the Lakers are going to have to include value in that deal, there will be a third team which is reaping the assets of getting Russ that they otherwise wouldn't be getting from the Lakers because Kyrie Irving wouldn't be part of that deal. The Lakers have made it clear they don't want to trade first for Russ just to get him off the team without getting value back. I can understand that stance. Um, Brooklyn, though, you send out Kyrie Irving. There needs to be more salary to make it work. People have mentioned Joe Harris. I don't think once he's healed from his ankle surgery that he's going to be this negative. He's the perfect superstar compliment. But you have Joe Harris. You have Royce O'Neal, who you gave up a first-round pick for, so I don't think it should be him. You have Seth Curry expiring contract. It shouldn't be him. So that's why it almost you know, really needs to be Joe Harris. It also doesn't need to be anyone substantial, by the way, because Kyrie Irving is making... $36.6 million, which under the trade rules, that's going to get you almost to Russell Westbrook's salary. So like you can send out some smaller contracts um, of players that maybe you don't trust. I guess the problem is the Nets is cheapest contracts. Now that I'm looking at it are all, you know, you're not trading uh, Cameron Thomas or Dayron Sharp to get them. And so if it is, if it is Harris, maybe that just means you're getting more value out of the Lakers. If you're the Nets though, and you can get the Lakers 27 and 2029 first round picks, you should absolutely be doing this trade because if you're moving Kevin Durant, if you're planning on bringing these two back and competing, fine, try that. Good luck. Uh, I don't think it's going to, this whole situation just seems super combustible, but you're trying to, as, as much as you want to be this immediate threat, you also need to restock your, your draft cover. You did some of that with the, with the James Harden trade. Um, and look, it helps you out. You, you have your 2027 pick, you have it, but it's a swap to Houston. And so you could definitely wind up with the, you're going to wind up with the worst of the two picks in that scenario. Um, you also have Philly's 2027 pick. So yeah, you end up with three first, but like some of those could be moved later. The Lakers can offer swaps, but you need to get, uh, it, they're in the weird situation because the Nets, the 2028 swap you could offer, that would be valuable to the Nets, but they owe their 2026 pick, I believe is gone. So the swap in 2026 doesn't matter, but the Lakers godfather offer is, those two firsts in 27 and 29, um, plus swaps in 26 and 28, plus Russ. Who can you get for that? If it gets you Kyrie Irving and you're just setting it up, there's a three-team deal. Someone else goes and latches onto Kyrie Irving and any of the teams we're going to talk about now should maybe be in it, um, then fine, do that. If you can get Kyrie and you're the Lakers, then uh, you should absolutely positively be uh, making that deal. And if you don't, then you can't go back and say, well, Russ was unmovable. Uh, this and that Russ can be moved if you're willing to trade your first round picks. And I do believe he probably could be dealt for Kyrie Irving at this juncture as well. Other teams to keep an eye on. I think we should start with the two that have cap space. So Indiana, after going after the eight and offer, offer she can keep around 30 plus million in cap space. They can do something as simple as sending out buddy healed for Russell Westbrook. They could also send out miles Turner for Russell Westbrook. Um, they could send out both. If they believe the Lakers have enough value to get that, they have so much cap space though. They could start sending out cheaper players. They you could send out. No, you can't send out TJ McConnell for us. Well, you could send out one of Miles Turner or Buddy Heald. Doesn't have to be both. Maybe they don't want Buddy Heald because he has two years at over forty million dollars left on his deal. Um, if the Lakers are willing to trade Russ in a first for Buddy Heald alone, they're getting immediate payroll relief, and that's big apparently to their tax bill. They run their team like a small business. Um, I would include the first round pick to do that. And if I'm the Pacers, again, you're probably buying out Russ. You're rebuilding. That money comes off your books in a year. 
There's no reason to stretch and wave it. Just do it. Now, if it's a matter of, you know, do they want Miles Turner? Yeah, things get iffy there. Would I do 27, 29 and Russ for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald? From the Lakers, sure. From the Pacers, probably not. Uh, if the Lakers include swaps in 26 and 28, I might consider it. Um, if they include two firsts, I would give up Miles Turner for sure alone. And if again, if you really don't value Buddy Heald, maybe you're looking at it as we needed true threes on this roster anyway, and we have like sort of this uh, surplus of guards and and like swingmen rather than actual wings, and, and you don't really value Buddy Heald in that way, and you just want to play Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Benedict Matherin, O'Shea Brissett a crap ton, then sure. If you don't view Buddy, if you yourself as the Pacers don't view Buddy Heald as a net negative, I would absolutely consider Russ for Heald, Turner, and at least, and, and the Lakers two first round picks. Now, if you can get more, if you can get the swaps, that's even better. Uh, if you can get Austin Reeves, by the way, out of this, quite like has a really nice pump and drive game, um, held up on defense quite well. I'd look at that. I don't think they need Talon Horton Tucker, uh, but if they want him, like the Lakers, the Lakers have avenues to sweeten their offer beyond 27 and 29. And if I'm the Lakers, and if you can get Turner, I would give up both those first round picks probably because you want to play another big alongside AD. Uh, Turner's not the best rebounder, but again, AD can be the floor on defense and still be a great rebounder. Turner spaces the floor on offense. That helps out a lot. Doesn't need to be the primary screener. You have to make sure he wants to stick around long-term, of course, because you don't want to risk trading away your future for a rental. My point is, if you're the Pacers, you're in full-on rebuilding mode. One year of Russell Westbrook, if it's even coming with one unprotected Lakers first-round pick, I'm considering it. I know things tend to work out for LA, but 2027, that ages you out of uh, the LeBron Davis core, probably. LeBron certainly not there. So that that's a team that should consider it. And then the other one, of course, is the Spurs. They're still sitting on, I have them at in my spreadsheet. They have over $30 million in cap room as well. I'm in 32 um, that's, you know, Josh Richardson for Russell Westbrook could work. That probably doesn't get you there, but like Josh Richardson and Doug McDermott for Westbrook and the Lakers are giving you one or two of their first. Um, that's a deal I would consider if I'm LA or San Antonio, I might, if I'm San Antonio, I might even consider it. If it's one Josh Richardson, great voice in the locker room for them on an expiring contract. Doug McDermott doesn't fit their timeline over 30 years old. And he's probably Relative to what he does, a little bit overpaid. The Lakers could use his shooting and cutting. Uh, we'll see if Darvin Ham actually succeeds in getting players moving away from the ball, which has been difficult for LeBron-led teams in the past. Um, those are two players that helped him right away. It doesn't add size to the Lakers' front court, but Richardson had an underrated year last year, can still hit the three, gives you a lot of a positional malleability. I don't think you're... And I wouldn't want Pirtle playing next to Anthony Davis. So... Those are two players right there. I don't know if it takes both your first to get Russ because we're only looking at $26 million in salary there. The Lakers end up saving almost $21 million off their immediate payroll. That's probably worth going the two first for. If I'm San Antonio, I'm demanding a first and something else. Is it a swap? Um, two swaps or that outright first-round pick in 29 as well. Uh, maybe you don't want to do that if you're LA because you're not getting a... You know, when it's Irving, it's a star. If it's not Irving then it's weird. Now, could they latch on as a third team? And there's a scenario where maybe the Spurs are eating Joe Harris's contract um, and they're sending Richardson back to the Lakers and they're getting some of the Lakers picks while Brooklyn gets one and you're splitting the the baby, so to speak, in, in that direction. You could look at that, but I think the Spurs are a team that could, they should be willing to take on Russell Westbrook because no, he's not going to stay there. You're going to wave him or buy him out. He comes off your books after next year. You're not trying to win this season anyway. Um, 
they've made the Spurs have made that clear trading away DeJounte Murray. They traded away Derek White midseason last year. They've they've just made that very clear. And even Indy, yeah, they went after Aiton. It'd be a different story if he was there. He's not. And so that's a team that's not looking to win uh, immediately. It does get a little challenging though when you look at teams that you know don't at beyond those teams. Someone else, another squad that should be looking at them. Speaking of a team in full looking at Russ is the jazz. Speaking of a team that's in full teardown mode, they have salaries that they can send out uh, to match. It would have to be basically a dollar, dollar, dollar for dollar match here. It doesn't have to be dollar for dollar, but the jazz, they're not going to go into luxury tax for a team. That's going to be bad. Um, they have, uh, they have currently like enough, like some room under luxury tax, like $14 million in room. So you can save the Lakers a little bit of money, but you're not going to want your payroll to be so high. You might not even want to be over the cap. If the team is going to be this bad. I'll tell you right now, like your strange, you're not getting Donovan Mitchell for Russell Westbrook, which is, I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich, Malik Beasley, and Beverly, like those, you could get that adds to the Lakers payroll, but you could get those three players just for Russ. Would you give up a first round pick through 2027? Both first round picks, 27 and 29. I would. I'm not going to lie. I would. Those players are all complimentary. They're on expiring deals. Beasley's second year is a team option in that scenario. Boyan Bogdanovich is a perfect player to have alongside LeBron and AD. Maybe you want Mike Conley to sort of, have that other point guard option on this team. I don't hate that idea. Uh, he probably decreases how much you need to get up, give up to get the deal done. He's owed 22.7 next year and then guaranteed 14.3 of 24.4 in 2023-2024. Uh, I know people remember how Conley played towards the end of last year's postseason and some of the mistakes he made. He was really good for the Jazz last year. And so could the trade be something like, I don't think you're going to get Conley and Bogdanovich, but like, let's say if it's Conley and Malik Beasley or Conley and Patrick Beverly for Russ Westbrook, the Jazz should consider that if they're getting out of one, the, the, the more than 50% guarantee on Conley's second year salary here. Um, and if it's an unprotected Lakers pick, I think it's worth giving up. If it's Malik Beasley, if it's Beverly, I might even consider if it's Boyan Bogdanovich, he's making 19.6 next year. I don't know who's giving you a first round pick. Maybe you just think you can get better value, but that's a team just looking at the construction of those contracts, Conley, Bogdanovich, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, and then even Jordan Clarkson has a player option for 23, 24, a reunion with him shouldn't be out of the question for LA, whatever combination of players they can get from Utah while minimizing the first round damage they're giving up. Uh, the mother load is probably just, like I said, Beverly Beasley and Bogdanovich that will Utah do that. Will they do swaps in 26 and 28? Um, do those have value to them or the Lakers outright picks in 27 and 29? Those are look swaps are assets. I know people are probably laughing at the idea of swaps. Things tend to work out for the Lakers swaps are assets. And we saw that in the, you know, the Celtics getting Derek white, that 2028 swap with San Antonio. We saw that in the Gobert trade, uh, Minnesota giving up an, one unprotected swap in addition to other stuff. If you think that the Lakers are going to go sideways and especially under the control of this front office, if you don't see the clear path of them getting another star, their swaps in 26 and 28, a few years down the line, have a ton of value. If I'm the Lakers, this one's a little bit less clear cut to me, um, just like San Antonio. I don't know if I'm giving up both my my first round tangible picks. If it's Bogdanovich, Beasley, and Beverly, I might, I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely giving up the 2027 pick unprotected if that gets it if that gets it done. And if I can only get two of those players, I mean, Utah's willing to sort of, you know, swallow the salary. I, the Conley Beasley deal feels like the, the best middle ground or Conley and Patrick Beverly from one of the Lakers first, and then maybe a swap. That's something that, um, that's something that Utah could look at. And again, you're not acquiring Russ with the intention of keeping him. You're buying him out or you're waiving him. And then he's off the books after that year. And the benefit there is Conley costs 
less than Russell Westbrook in the aggregate of his salary next year. And then what he's guaranteed the following season, um, he costs about what, let's say they guarantee his salary for 23, 24 Conley over the next two years, costs you about what Russell Westbrook will next year, but just having the money completely off your books opens up a different, um, a few different avenues of, of flexibility. The Hornets are another team that I think should consider it. I have no idea what, what the hell is really going on with them. They seem pretty dead set on being competitive. Um, Miles Bridges is you know currently being charged with um, a, a variety of domestic abuse uh, allegations or, or charges, I believe. Uh, that situation is a, a disaster. And look, it doesn't matter about his free agency or fit with the Hornets. Um, their actual basketball part of this is... Is he going to be back? Is he even going to be playing next season? Uh, do you move forward as if he's not going to be on the team? What's the punishment going to be for for what he did? Which was just, you know, when you saw the pictures and the video from his son, just absolutely disgusting. We need to make that much clear. But the Hornets, they seem to value flexibility. It's tough, again, not knowing the direction of the team fully. It does seem like they're interested in winning now. Russ is not someone you keep in that scenario, unless the, you know, the Jordan brand is so strong there. But they have Hayward. Maybe they want to get off his deal, and they can include another salary. I mean, you could trade. Maybe you don't like the rest of Terry Rozier's contract. Is there something you could work out there? Or is it Plumlee and Hayward for Russ? And you're taking on – I don't think they have enough wiggle room under the tax to actually want to do that. Oh, they actually – they do. They're – they're wow, they're further under the – no, they're closer to the tax than I believe. So, excuse me. Um, you know, can you do – just other moves. You can get to a dollar for dollar matches. And if you're the Lakers, yeah, I'd roll the dice in the final two years of Gordon Hayward's deal. Uh, if the Charlotte wanted to get rid of Rozier, I don't, let me be clear. I don't love this landing spot for Russ, but for a team like Charlotte, if I thought that they were really going to use the flexibility wisely, because you'd be turning longer term contracts um, into a shorter term one that just comes off the books after next season, I might feel a little bit higher about it. Cap space probably doesn't mean a ton, in Charlotte, they are concerned about the tax bill, though, and maybe just knowing that um, they have Lamelo's extension coming up, they just want to have a little bit more maneuverability moving forward and sooner. That could help you get Russ. And if again, if they're willing to take a step back next season and you give up Terry Rozier and Hayward for Russ, and then the Lakers could do that deal outright, but we know how they feel about their tax bill. Uh, you know, they can send out some smaller salaries there. Um, a Kendrick Nunn just to make the money just a little bit more palatable uh, match for match. Uh, are you getting an asset if you're Charlotte in that situation? I think Terry Rozier and even Gordon Hayward are good enough where you, you should be getting at least one Lakers first. And I would do it. If it was, look, Terry Rozier, Hayward for Nunn and Russ and the 2027 Lakers first, I definitely do that if I'm the Lakers. I'm on the fence if I'm Charlotte. It depends upon my aims. If you're making that trade, I would assume you're you know kind of having this gap year. Maybe you view that as dangerous with, uh, Lamelo extension eligible following next season. It's debatable, at least. I don't think the I don't think the Lakers are giving up two firsts in that scenario, though. That's for sure. Uh, that that kind of when I was going through the destinations, that's kind of like the end of the teams that might make sense. You could say Detroit can stand to swallow it. Uh, they just can't even like build. Uh, they have some cap room right now, but it's not a ton. I guess you would be doing Nerlens Noel. Alec Burks and Kelly Olynyk type deal. And I don't even know if that's going to help you. No, New Orleans is 9.2 Burks. That's 19 with Burks and then another 12 with, so you come pretty close um, to that's like $30 million in salary right there. A little bit over $30 million. And at you have, do you have enough? Yeah, no, you don't have enough cap space to swallow that difference. So you need to include a fourth player in there. How high are you on Habadou Diallo? Maybe Corey Joseph. 
if the Lakers want to give you a first round pick for that, I just don't know that you're getting much more than that. If you view Noel and Burks as useful players for you moving forward, then you're certainly going to want more than a distant Lakers first. You're again, not keeping Russ. And I do think Kelly Olenek looking at their front court structures, probably pretty important now, especially if you want Marvin Bagley uh, to fit into uh, a rotation that has Isaiah Stewart that now has Jalen Duran. Um, Kelly Olenek spaces the floor. And so he can play. He's the one big that can play alongside any of their other bigs in theory. That's part why I didn't like the Marvin Bagley the third contract. But you could look at going that route and view it as, oh, well, we're actually consolidating our big man rotation because we're getting lit, rid of Olenek and Noel and having um, Marvin Bagley the third, Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart as your three primary bigs. I, you could, there's definitely a rotation to be made out of that. I thought about the Rockets for a hot minute just because they're rebuilding. And again, you get Russ with the thought of then uh, buying him out. Step laddering their way there gets a little too difficult and would involve just sending out a, a crap ton of contracts. You begin with Eric Gordon at 19.6 million. Are the Lakers giving you an asset for that? I I have no idea. I don't think they'd be willing to give up a first for Eric Gordon, even though it's getting them off of Russ. Maybe because it's getting them off of Russ as well. You have to step ladder your way, though, ultimately, in my opinion, with too many contracts. We're looking at, you know, they're going to trade Eric Gordon and then David Nawaba. Uh, Boban has the, the expiring salary. Trey Burke has the 3.3 expiring salary. Ditto for Sterling Brown. And it, it basically needs to be all of those players. Uh, just looking at how, like, Gordon doesn't even make 20, but you round him up to 20. Nawaba brings you to 25, uh, 28.5 with Boban, and then another 6.5 million with, you know, you're around 35 million at this point which is actually not enough money to take back Russ and not have any cap space left over. So that's a team that, again, you could do it, especially because it's the offseason. But you have to really step ladder your way too much, in, in my opinion. After that, it gets iffy. I was a big advocate of the Knicks doing it, maybe using Russ's expiring salary as a means to get off of Fournier and or Julius Randle. They don't appear headed in that direction. They're fully engaged in Donovan Mitchell. They've already... Uh, they've already sign Jalen Brunson. It's unreal. It was always unrealistic, but now it's less palatable. Um, if they miss on Mitchell, I still wouldn't hate the idea of, Hey, yeah, we signed Brunson, but we're trying to make this a longer term timeline. And so we have Rose, we have Fournier, we have Randall. If you're willing to take at least one of Fournier and Randall and give us a first round pick in addition to Russ's salary, then th the Knicks should absolutely consider it. That's another distant pick in their chamber to go out and acquire a star. Uh, again, if they're not going to have complete the Donovan Mitchell trade and it doesn't do anything for you next season, but I would argue if you can get rid of Julius Randall, who might look is a worthy reclamation project. If he hits his deal looks great as the cap rises. Um, he could help the Lakers. He's going to help the Lakers more than Russ did during the, the during the LeBron list stretchers. I'll tell you that much right now. And he shot well enough on spot up threes in the past where if you can convince him to be more of a screen and dive guy than dominate the ball, uh, or at least limit his ball domination to when he's on the court by himself, he can help the Lakers more than Russell Westbrook can. I would argue then by getting Russ, waving him or buying him out, you've actually done more for your team as the Knicks to open up things for Jalen Brunson and also RJ Barrett, um, independent of what's going on with Donovan Mitchell. And if you're getting a first round pick or two as part of that equation, should absolutely be considering it. Again, that's depending on what happens with the Donovan Mitchell stuff. And you might not want to do it anyway because it costs you some flexibility when it comes to going after Donovan Mitchell this season, just having that dead money of Russ on the books. Unless you think, are you just going to carry him? I argue you probably shouldn't play him, even though the franchise loves flashy names, but are you just going to keep his money on the books to maybe be moved at midseason if Donovan Mitchell isn't moved and becomes available or another star becomes available and you need that salary 
anchor. The Thunder, everyone loves a good homecoming story. They just they can't get to the money to acquire Russ. There's their biggest contract that they would actually consider moving is Derek Favors' $10.2 million salary. That's just out of the question. I did think, and this is going to rankle some feathers. I thought about Orlando for a hot minute. They don't again, they don't keep him. You're probably getting Russ and buying him out. You have some bigger salaries that maybe you don't want. I know a lot of Orlando fans like Markel Fultz, like Jonathan Isaac, but would you be willing to move one of them plus Terrence Ross if you're getting two first-round picks from the Lakers for Russell Westbrook? There'd have to be other pieces, moving pieces involved there. I would do that if I'm Orlando. I have Pavel Bancaro. I have Franz Wagner. I have Jalen Suggs. They are my timeline. To a lesser extent, Wendell Carter Jr. He's my timeline. They are my future. I don't, you know, Fultz was good last season when for the minimal time that he was healthy. And he's been good really since coming over to Orlando in general, he's not good enough for me to say he's a cornerstone. I wouldn't move him. And uh, Isaac is up in the air, but part of the intrigue would be imagine Isaac and Davis defensively. Not sure that works too well. Offensively. He turns into a bargain contract. If he remains healthy, if he doesn't, he's guaranteed basically $25 million over the next two seasons because he can be partially waived in 22, 23 and then he's fully non-guaranteed at the moment. Excuse me, he's partially guaranteed in 22-23, then fully non-guaranteed right now in the latter two years of his deal. If I'm the Lakers, and it's Ross, Isaac as the basis, I'll give you two first-round picks for that, the two distant first-round picks unprotected. I, I roll the dice on John Isaac. I really would. He has the higher upside than Russ. Uh, even if it's faults, just for what he brings defensively, I'd be less inclined to do it. But and I, look, I would, I'm going to tell you right now too, if the offer was, and the magic are just okay taking the continuing to sort of not tank, but they're not going to be, they wouldn't be great next year. Even if Ben Carroll's fantastic, which I fully expect them to be, if they do willing to do the full boat, for the Lakers full boat, Isaac Fultz Ross for two first and at least one swap. Hell yeah. I'm doing that. If, if I'm Orlando, I would just consider it. Maybe I'm too low on Fultz, but I don't, I think Ro, Ross is probably, you know, in, in also ran asset at this point, didn't have the best shooting year last season. I think on a better team, he'd shoot the ball better with more space. Do the Lakers provide that? I don't know. Uh, but that's kind of the player you're, you're paying for the, the possibility of Jonathan Isaac in that scenario. Uh, but you're also faults right now is probably the most valuable asset going out in that trade. And he's has a non-guaranteed salary, uh, partially guaranteed salary in 23, 24 as well. But that's a team that just has the matching contracts to get it together. And you start to run out of options after that, unless we see the Kings pivot into more of a rebuild. That's which that's just not going to happen. Um, ditto for Washington, whatever they're doing there. They're, they don't even have you. You need Kristaps Porzingis in that deal. You could get there with Kuzma and Morris and Barton and DeLon Wright eventually, like when they become trade eligible. But just they're not a team. So, yes, I recognize that the Russell Westbrook trade destinations are limited. It's not impossible if the Lakers are actually willing to give up value. Do I think that they should be willing just to give up value to get rid of Russ? No. You need useful you need a useful player and or players in return. There are teams, Utah, San Antonio, and Indiana specifically, that I think should be open to going that route and shorting the Lakers' future by targeting um, their distant first picks. And then, of course, Brooklyn. If you just want Kyrie off the team, uh, maybe you're trying to figure out a way to get actual players for him. Or if you think you're going to keep Durant, then yeah, it makes sense to maybe roll the dice on Irving and see how things go. But if they're really going to move Durant or if that situation's unsalvageable, should absolutely be trying to target the Lakers distant draft picks. 
Thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on actual Russell Westbrook. If you didn't check out that video on YouTube and you're listening to this clip of it on YouTube, go back and, and look at the full episode. Uh, until next time, and as always, please remember to subscribe to us. Hit that subscribe and like button on YouTube. It helps us out a ton. It helps me out a ton. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. That also helps me out a ton. And finally, recommend us. Help us by retweeting our our promos on, on Twitter, or like I said, just, just word of mouth. I appreciate it all, and it helps out a ton. Until next time, and as always, if you're new around these parts, get used to it. We need to the shout-out to the one, the only, if only the Lakers could acquire him to salvage their future. Frank, you yeah. know,